Open it about halfway, probably in the book of Psalms. Flip over to the right, a couple books. You'll find Ecclesiastes. If you get to Isaiah, you've gone too far. Um, and while you're flipping there, uh, just a couple comments. I see a lot of unfamiliar faces here this morning. So my name is John Young. I am one of the elders serving here, uh, and it's a privilege to do so. Dan, our regular preaching pastor, is on PTO. So come back next week for to hear him preach. And then the second comment I want to make is Ryan basically preached my sermon in his introduction to the song. So if you were paying attention there, you can sleep through my sermon. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and blows around to the north. Around and around it goes on its circuits. The wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been will be, and what has been done, that it will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Father, your word is precious to us. And we need you, Spirit, to help us understand what is the mind of Christ. We need you to open our eyes and our ears. Let your word sink deep into our hearts so it may dwell in us and we may dwell with Christ. I praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, pop quiz time. What do Netflix, the iPhone, and the book of Ecclesiastes have in common? All right. Well, they all have been disruptive in their own arenas. Netflix killed Blockbuster and ushered in a new era of streaming videos. The iPhone has destroyed BlackBerry and revolutionized the cell phone as well as how we communicate personally. In Book of Ecclesiastes, this book of wisdom, it shakes us from the illusion that the satisfaction and meaning that we think we can get from this life, it can't be achieved, and it disrupts our self-assessment that our accomplishments have any lasting value. But this book also reminds us that God is good, and he has given us good gifts in this world, in this life, even though they're temporary. And finally, the frustration and the futility that this life has to offer us, they're meant to lead us to ask a question. What else is there? Which ultimately brings us to Christ. So what do we do with a book like Ecclesiastes? So to be candid, for many years my approach to the book of Ecclesiastes is to basically learn by negation. Don't do what that guy does. 
Don't, don't, look, don't look at the world just under the sun, right? Have a, have a more godly view of things. Don't get caught up in the trappings of this world. But it was really, in my assessment through the Spirit, limited. Now, there's nothing wrong with those approaches. They're helpful, and they're themes that are within the book of Ecclesiastes. But I've done a, a little bit of a deeper dive this year in the book, I've come to sense this disruptive power that the book of Ecclesiastes has, a disruptive power in my own life and faith. And as is always the case, the Spirit leads us deep into the mind of Christ. And if we let him today, Ecclesiastes will not be an exception. I have a warning, or perhaps a spoiler alert. Disruptions can be painful, Think of Blockbuster. Think of Blackberry. Think about the people that own in-person movie theaters. Our journey into Ecclesiastes may be the same, but we know that God is good. And his goal for us is to grow us up into salvation. And that really is my prayer for all of us, including me, today. So a couple things to note about the book of Ecclesiastes before we get started. The first and most important thing is there is a word that the preacher uses over and over again. It's the Hebrew word hebel. Now, the ESV translates this term as vanity. But the NIV in the New King James translates it meaningless. The NASB translates it futility. But what do we do? What does that word really mean? What's the essence of that word? Well, if you were up earlier this morning, it's gone now, but earlier this morning, what did we have? Fog, right? That's, that's the, the, think of the word, think of fog, think of vapor, think of a mist in the morning, and uh, especially later in the summer, we have this valley mist you can see it. You can go outside. You can actually touch it. You can be immersed in it. But what happens when you try to grasp it, to hold it, to depend on it? It's gone. It's gone. Poof. Just like a, like a vapor. It's gone. Meaningless. Futile. Vanity. And the next phrase that the, the preacher uses quite often is this term, under the sun. And it really has two aspects to it that are distinct, but they overlap. The first is, he's talking about things in this world, physical creation, the earth, the sky, our marriages, our family, life and death, the Grand Canyon, for example. These things are, in this sense, are just, they're just neutral things. They're things in this world. They are things in our day-to-day -day lives. But there's a second component to this phrase, under the sun. See, the preacher has found himself adrift. He's been focusing on these earthly things, and he's found out that they're vapor. They're meaningless. And he realizes that his focus has been not just on physical things, but on spiritually empty things. He's had a worldly perspective and not a godly one. 
And that's the other essence of that word. Under the sun is a focus on the here and now rather than on the eternal and the spiritual and on Christ. And one last thing before we get started. The human author, the preacher, as he describes himself, is often attributed to Solomon, David's son, and the king of Israel during their uh, golden age, if I can call it that. And there's a lot to support this position, and I'm not here to, to challenge that or debunk it or debate it. But the real point of, of Ecclesiastes and the, and the point of not naming the author is that he has experienced everything, all successes and all failures, all largesse and all poverty, wisdom, folly, everything that this world has to offer, the preacher has experienced. So then he can come to us and say, it is all vanity, vapor, meaningless. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time is do a flyover of Ecclesiastes. I'm not going to dive into any one particular section, but I want to look at a, diff a few different themes that draw it out. And I want to trust that the Spirit will use the disruptive power of this book to shake us and to remake us. And I really believe the essence of the book is to drive us to this question. What else is there? What is there beyond things that are under the sun? And then lead us to find our answers in Christ. So the first thing, um, yeah, oh, I'm back. The first thing that the Ecclesiastes teaches us that life under the sun is frustrating and it's futile. The next thing that teaches us is that life under the sun is also good and a gift from God. And then finally, life under the sun does indeed point us to something greater, and that is Christ. So I want to go back for a second to this word, hebel. So think about the fog we had this morning, or if you didn't see it this morning, fog that you've seen otherwhere. What, what value does that really bring us? Right? Like I said, you can go out, you can touch it, you can kind of walk around in it, you can feel it, but you can't do a trust fall on it, can you? Right? It's not going to catch you, so don't try it. It's meaningless. It's a vapor. And yet... The preacher knows what you and I know. We keep going back to the stuff. We want to do the trust fall on the things that are in our life. That's why he has this drumbeat. So let's just look at some of the verses out of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 that I read earlier. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Then chapter 2, verse 11. Then I considered the work all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained. Under the sun. 
There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavily on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing that he desires, and yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is a vanity, a grievous evil. And finally, chapter 9. Again, I saw that under the sun the race was not to the swift, and the battle not to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those who have knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For a man does not know his time, like a fish taken in an evil net, and birds that are caught in the snare. So the children of man are snared up in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon him. What good news, huh? We could look at dozens more passages like that in Ecclesiastes. The preacher is reminding us of one thing. Life under the sun is frustrating and it is futile. It seems like he's trying to tell his original audience and us there are no exceptions from this rule. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you're black or white. I don't care if you're male or female. You're young or old. You're wise or you're foolish. You're powerful or you're weak. You're extraordinary or you're plain. It just doesn't matter. Under the sun, everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. Everything is frustrating and futile. None of us are exempt. So for a moment, if you would, compare your life to the preacher's measuring stick. What is the one thing that gives you meaning? One thing that you hope, God, please don't take this away from me. Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your parenting? Is it your career? Is it your retirement? Is it your health? Is it your social status? Is it your theological knowledge, your vacation, your frugality, your generosity, your prayer life, your spiritual disciplines? And I could go on and on and on. But the preacher's point is this. We all have something or multiple somethings in our lives that we're striving to achieve, to maintain, that will give us that that meaning, that purpose, that raison d'etre, right, if you speak French. And it's easy to take these things, these good things, and make them ultimate things. Something that gives us a heart level of satisfaction. But the disruption in the book of Ecclesiastes is that that's all a lie. Everything I just listed and the thousands of things I didn't list, they're struggles, and they ultimately come to an end. Cars break down, spouses die, children move out, careers end, bodies and minds fail, phones and computers become outdated, and even the Grand Canyon is eroding. Despite all this, the world and our minds tell us these things will satisfy us. 
And the longing and ache of our souls will be, will be satisfied. And the preacher is here to tell us a hard truth. Everything is vanity and meaningless and futile. So at this point, I feel like I need to give you a little self-disclosure. Many of you probably know that I've worked at Daryl and Power for a long time, about 100 years. And, and, as, and, and in my successive role at Daryl, I've, I've striven to work heartily as unto the Lord. And yet, whenever I've sought a promotion, I've done it for basically two reasons, money and responsibility. And by God's grace, I've been promoted, and I've, I've gotten what I've pursued but my experience mirrors that of the preacher. Money and responsibility are a vapor and a fog, vanity, meaningless, and futile. And now I have to add a postscript to my example because as my gray hair probably attests, retirement is now a career stuff I have to have in my mind over the next five years or so. And what does the voice in my head say? This is it. This is the step that will make all the difference. You will arrive and get a victory lap or something. I don't know. But what does the preacher say? You flip to the next slides. In chapter 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. Think about that. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with their eyes? In chapter 2, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who comes after me. Who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he, will, yet he will be the master for which all I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So if we stopped right there, our assessment of the book of Ecclesiastes and life under the sun would be stunted. Is everything vapor? Is everything visible yet impossible to grasp? Is everything futile and frustrating? Yes, yes, it is. The preacher's assessment is accurate, and we know it, don't we? We know it. We hear it. We see what he's saying, and we go, yes, you're right. We don't like it, but you're right. And that's the disruption. But thankfully, the preacher and God, by his grace, does not leave us hanging. He wants us to know that even though it's frustrating and futile, everything he has given us is good. And it's a gracious gift from him. Take a look at these verses. In chapter 2, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. 
And he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in men's hearts so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And finally, verse in chapter 11, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun, right? And we all know that. It, you may be asking yourselves at this point, has the preacher lost his mind? How can he say vanity, futile, a fog, a mist, a vapor, worthless, and then saying everything is good, everything is from God, it's a gift. There's, this, there's a cognitive dissonance in these words. And, and if you're reading that and you're kind of going, I'm off balance, that's good. That means you're reading, you're paying attention. You're asking those good questions, and they are good questions to ask. And yet, think about the rest of the Bible. Doesn't, don't these juxtapositions happen all over the place? Think of Joseph being sold into slavery, yet being the one who rescued the nation of Israel from oblivion. And then there's David. We all know David. We love David, the adulterer and the murderer. And yet, he is the man who is declared to be the one after God's own heart. There's Isaiah proclaiming the nation corrupt. Jeremiah proclaiming the nation unfaithful. Ezekiel proclaiming the nation spiritually bankrupt. And yet, each of them proclaiming God will himself rescue and redeem and restore. And then there's Jesus the hero of the story, perfect, yet condemned and ridiculed, Always, um, righteous, yet tempted like no other, always giving Caesar his due, yet tried and executed as a traitor, sinless, yet bearing our sins on the cross. So if you think back, to my list of things, the things that give us meaning, the things that give us value? Is your marriage hebel, vanity? Sure it is, but it's also a good and gracious gift from God. How's your parenting? Is it limited? Is it frustrating? I bet it is. But God has blessed you with wonderful children and an incredible responsibility. And I could go on, right? Your career, your retirement, your health, the Grand Canyon, they're all a vapor if we try to cling to them for meaning and significance. And yet God has blessed us with each one of them way beyond what we could ask or think. And James has said it so well. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change.
And now consider my career self-disclosure. Has my career proven to be Hebel, a vapor? No doubt in my mind. Go back to that verse I read and think about it. I'm building stuff that I have to hand over to somebody else. And I'm not sure they're going to be as good as I am. Right. No, no ego there, by the way. But where would I be? Where would I be without God's grace? The skills I have, the opportunities I have had, the fortuitous twists and turns in my career, are they not all good gifts from God? You see, the Bible is full of paradoxes, and this is just one of them. Nothing we have will last. Nothing we have will satisfy. Nothing we have will fill the ache that is in your heart. And yet everything we have has been given to us by a good and gracious Father. And it's ultimately for our good. So many of us are familiar with Romans 8.28, right? It is easily a cliche verse. I would dare say it is the cliche verse. I know this. And yet that verse is still true. God does work everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that leaves us with a quandary, doesn't it? How do we respond to this book? Do we give in to the despair that the preacher seems to be living in for most of the time as he writes this? Or do we pivot 180 degrees and somehow live in some kind of Pollyanna world where there is no fertility, there is no frustration, Everything is good. Everything is wonderful. Everything is rosy. And if I meet you in the foyer and I say, how's it going? You say, it is fine. When it's not fine. Or is there a better way? See, the true wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes lies in this dilemma. The preacher wants us to see that even though life under the sun is hebel, it is frustrating, it is meaningless, it is a vapor, it is simultaneously good, and it's a good gift from our Heavenly Father. It, those two things together were never meant to be an end in themselves. As good and as frustrating as the world is, it is simply a pointer. And it leads us on a path to something greater. The love and grace and mercy and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So let's look at these verses. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taking away from it. God has done it so that the people will fear him, be in awe of him, worship him, 
and guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools, for they don't know what they're doing. Do not be rash in your mouth, with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. So here is the disruptive truth of Ecclesiastes. God has merged his good and gracious gifts with the vain and meaningless frustrations of this world for a purpose. He wants us to seek him rather than his gifts. Think about the trajectory of the people that we see in the Bible. God blesses them. And they respond in faith. But then the gift supplants the giver. And sin ensues. And then in love, God disciplines and calls his children to repent. And we see that over and over and over. It's repeated in the kings. It's repeated in the people of God. And if we're honest, and you're in church, so you should be honest. If we're honest, we see this in ourselves. God's word is clear. The, tra- the trajectory of the human heart, of my heart, of each heart in this room, is to wander away from God. We have an internal GPS, and it's broken, and it wants to go our own way and do our own thing. Prone to wander. God, feel Prone to leave the God I love. And yet I have some encouraging words from Jesus out of Matthew 6. Life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. Because Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. See, at the end of the day, the beauty of the cross is that Jesus died for men and for women who willfully chose to chase the vapor, who seek a good gift to make it ultimate, who have want to make a permanent dwelling here under the sun. Now Jesus is calling us out of that frustration. He's calling us out of that blindness. He's calling us into the light of his love and grace. So where do we go from here? So I have two, two thoughts. Although I'm really trusting that the Spirit will do his disruptive work and God's word will be used however he sees fit. But my first thought is this. We need to seriously read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I know 
all the excuses. And you can come up to me afterwards and try to come up with one I haven't heard, but I bet I have. But trust me, it's worth it. Don't put it off. Dive into this book. It's challenging. I'll give you that. And it's disruptive. I'll give you that. But as you do, as you read it, ask the Spirit to expose the raw nerve, to expose where God's good gifts have become something more ultimate. And that frustration is leading you not to seek Christ, but to turn away and to get off on a tangent. Because we make gifts something that they're never intended to be. But God will give us the power to repent and to turn back to him. And the second recommendation, and this is how I'm going to close, is straight out of the, straight from the preacher. Here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and just keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. Let's pray. Father, you are in uh, the disruption business. And Ecclesiastes is one of those books that, if, if read rightly, can shake us to the core. But Father, I, I'm trusting today that as we ruminate, as we, as we meditate, as we think about that book, that you will use it for your glory and for the good of your people. Help us now as we continue to worship through the music, Lord, that you will use, use your words to remake us, to reshape us, and help us to f- follow hard after Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So please stand and continue to worship.